Hello, this is Gary Naylor. This is promising to be one of the most unusual podcasts that I've ever produced, and you're going to see why. It has a very interesting story about a most interesting individual, but I tie it together to show what he very well represents and even what is the outcome of it and the hope in it. So with that information, hopefully I have your attention. But I'm going to begin this time together by reading a scripture from Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 25. Here we go. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Hmm. You're going to hear some amplification of that in this story that I'm going to tell. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice... Ugh, I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then this principle, that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? From the body of this death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, and then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, mm, the law of sin. That passage is laying the foundation of what I'm going to be talking about in this podcast. Hopefully that alone will hold your interest. But I'm getting ready to tell you about a most unusual and interesting individual. I met this gentleman in 1994. I moved to Washington State and I went to a man's home and was attending a scripture study. He was actually teaching. And the gentleman was there, and we got to talking. And it was not long I asked him, um, may I ask you a question? I said, have you ever lived on the streets? 
He said, yes, I've been homeless. Now, why would I ask an individual that question? It's because I worked with the homeless in downtown Dallas for four years. I can tell you, you stay on the street for a while, it shows in your voice. I heard in his voice the very sounds of what came about from staying on the streets. I recognized it in his voice. His name is Philip, but I don't call him Philip. I actually call him Doc. You say, well, why do you call him Doc? Well, for this reason. And again, you're going, <laughs> boy, you're going to find the most interesting individual. I'm going to have to spend some time telling you about him before I get into what I really want to talk about. But I call him Doc because he studies the Scripture and seeks so much to understand what God's doing and to understand people that I said, you know, you have qualified for a doctorate degree in examining the Scriptures and and people. So I call him Doc. Mm, He likes that. He's, (laughs) He's most unusual. He's got an ego. And he is a character. In fact, I'll tell you this, and I've said this many times. Doc is the most unusual person I have ever met in my life. Not just the way he behaves, his positions, but it's his looks, his actions, his history. (laughs) Let me start out with his birth. And again, we're going to spend a little time here talking about him so I can let you know a bit about Doc. Doc was born in Germany. The mother had two boys through a man, and he was always saying that we're going to go to America. And so one day he said that he was going to go to America and prepare the way, and he never came back. This is a lady whose husband before this was a shipmaker in Germany, and whenever Hitler took over, He committed suicide. He was Jewish. And so this other man came along, and actually, from what I understand, they never married. And they had two boys, and he disappeared. Her desire was for her two sons to live in America, because those were her plans. She put her two sons up for adoption. The youngest one went first, just because of, of his age. He was adopted by someone in New York. And it wasn't long after that that the brother of that man adopted Doc. This man owned a newspaper, a newspaper business publishing, I think, as well. He was quite wealthy. So Doc found his life in the home of a wealthy family. Later on in life, he didn't want to live anymore. He decided he would commit suicide, and the best way to do it for him was to go to Vietnam and be killed because he couldn't kill himself. He didn't have the will or the guts to do it. So he decided he would go to Vietnam and be killed. But on the way there, he found a tract about the gospel, and he became a believer. Well, once he became a believer, he didn't want to be killed, and he didn't want to be in the military because that escapes the reason he was going to go in the first place. And so finally, because of his um, 
unique nature and because of his will to not be there, they gave him a dishonorable discharge. Now, Doc didn't fit into society per se, and he didn't go back home as I understand. He ended up being a street person. And he's told me some of his stories about being a street person where he ate out of dumpsters and just slept on the streets. He was a wandering individual. In time, he went to Israel and lived there for a while in kibbutz and all of that. And he knows fluent Hebrew. I also know that he's lived in Jordan. He's lived in a number of the countries in that area. In Ethiopia, he stayed there for a while, too. He can't go back to any of them because he's so unique, they usually kick him out. and They you know, gave him a free ticket to fly back home. I'm telling you, folks, this man is unique. The most unusual, unique man I've ever met in my life. And I've told you I met him in 1994. There's another coincidence in our lives is that we were both born in 1948. And so Doc and I struck up a relationship from that meeting. And we have been in touch with each other ever since, 1994 to our present. Let me tell you some of the uniquenesses, some of the unique qualities of Doc. For example, he gets a car and he puts all these lights on it and puts the yin and the yang on the hood and it has a motor and that turns um, his next car, and call that one Jenny Mule. His next car, he doctored it up as though it was uh, he was with the CIA. And he also put a mannequin in the passenger seat. Green, as I recall. And he does this just to attract attention. By the time that I met him, his mother and father, his adopted mother and father had died. And so he had money because they established a fund and he got money every month. And so he didn't have to work. And uh, whenever I met him, he would, uh, I think he was sleeping in a tent at that time. And I think he painted it on the inside, he said. (laughs) Eventually, Doc married a woman. Yeah, he married a woman. And uh, she lived in a cardboard box on the streets. He married the street woman. So they got married, and they were able to live together for a while, but then she, I don't know who wanted to leave, and she moved into a homeless shelter. And he would go see her every now and then as well. And one time when he was there, he woke up the next morning, and she was dead. And you're honestly, you're not getting a full taste of Doc. Um I've told you about some of his cars. His dress is quite unusual, too. He dresses in a way to generally attract attention. At one point, he stayed in my home, and I'll tell that story. And during that time, he wore glasses without lenses in them. <laughs> and and he, uh, he was just a character, an absolute character. In his cars, he often have... All of this paraphernalia, like a CB, toy CB, that he would act like he was talking on. Um, he would have a watch that didn't even work. He did all of this for show. 
But again, we're talking about a man who lived in Israel, knew Hebrew. He was quite a character. And in addition to this, he was a remarkable, remarkable student of the scriptures. And he was heavy on the wrath side. He kept waiting for and, and prophesying that, you know, California was going to go off in the ocean and or Washington State where we lived, it would go off. And, you know, there would be earthquakes and everything. He was always expecting some kind of wrath from God. But he studied the scriptures constantly, and he loved to write these synopsis that have the hardest time understanding, and he would hand them out. He would even send them out to all the newspapers, and he'd spend who knows how much money sending these um, documents to the newspapers thinking it was going to change the world. Doc, like I said, Doc's unusual. I remember one time he gave me a book for me to read, and he was always getting books. He reads a lot and studies the scriptures every day, constant. And he brought it to me, and it was terrible. So I threw it away. Next time he came over, he said, what did you think of the book? And I said, it was terrible, Doc. There was not anything worth even reading in it. He said, well, give it back to me, and I'll give it to someone else. I said, no, I threw it away. He said, you threw it away? I said, yeah. And he got upset, and I said, Doc, you gave me the book. It's my book. I can do with it what I want to. And he left. Of course, he came back. He was very resilient. Another thing about Doc, I wish I had a picture of him so you could see it. He's a tall guy. Another thing about Doc is he's been saying this ever since I've known him. He knows he's an absolute wretched, foul man. He's always saying that. He knows his absolute wretched state. And with the knowledge of that, he expresses it quite often. And yet he seeks the scriptures every day. Let me tell you, folks, this man is unusual. But he's my friend. He is my friend. When my family left me, in 2003, I went to New York to help another bride brother make some repairs on a home that was going to be sold. And towards the end of this, I got a call from Doc. I still had my home back in Washington State, and my family wasn't living there anymore because they had left before. And so he asked me, he said, Gary, can I sleep in your garage Because his wife died, and immediately after his wife died, uh, he got kicked out of his apartment. So he wanted to know if he could sleep in my garage. I said, sure. Now, when I got finished with that project, I realized I just need to go home and face all my problems with my wife separating from me and filing a legal action against me, filing uh, separation from me. So I knew I had to go back and deal with that. And Doc asked me, he said, can I live here? Now, I knew Doc, we had spent time together, but I really didn't. I mean, this man is so unique. I, I really didn't know how I could handle it. I didn't know what he would be like to live 
with me. But here's what I thought. I thought, you know, if one of the Bride brothers had said, can I live with you? I'd said yes. And I thought, how can I turn down Doc? He's my friend. He is my friend. And so I said, sure, Doc. So when I got there, of course, he was sleeping in my garage. And the home was where he could have the upstairs. And he had his own access up and down into the upstairs. And then I had the rest of the house down below. And it worked out very well. In fact, he lived there, as I recall, a year and nine months. And you know what I found out about him? I found out that he was a blue blood by nature. You say, what do you mean blue blood? I'm talking about someone very disciplined and royal. You get away from the facade. You remember I told you he had glasses, but they didn't have any lenses in them? He wears a facade like he wears those glasses. And uh, one day I realized why he wore the glasses. I said, Doc, I know why you wear those glasses. He said, how's that? I said, you wear them to distract people. He said, you're right. He said, I'm getting older and my eyes are showing it. And so I wear the glasses to hide it. But. There are things that he does that they're not to hide anything. He's just eccentric, very eccentric individual. But Doc stayed there, and it was quite enjoyable, frankly. Doc's a good guy. (laughs) I can remember one time I opened up my salad greens, and half of them, it looked like, were all rotted because I left them in there too long and said, well, we don't have enough for salads. He said, no, no. He said, give me all of that wilted stuff. It was more than wilted, let me tell you. It was on his way to decomposition. So I I separated him, and he ate it. Because he used to eat stuff like this out of the dumpsters all the time. He didn't have any problems eating it. Today, I don't worry too much about the old, you know, the dark green part in there, if you leave it too long. I thought, well, if Doc can eat it and didn't get sick, I'll be fine too. I must say, Doc has influenced me, at least in some things. But he stayed there for you know, a year and nine months. And in time, I realized I needed to move to Salem, Missouri. But before I left, he sat down with me once and he said, You know, Gary, I have two checking accounts for money that comes in to me. He said, I just blow all the money. He gives it away. He just, you know, uses it for most unusual things. He said, I'll just blow this away. He said, I'm going to give you one of these checking accounts. So let's go down. Let's put your name on the account. When the money comes in, you can get the money. Do you know that that provision carried me for a year? And I didn't have to work. I was riding with regard to Remnant Bride. And what Doc provided through that for a year, I was able to continue writing, and doing things for the bride. And frankly, Doc was a very generous individual. He would help other people as well. (laughs) But I thought, you know, here I questioned, you know, would it be okay to have Doc with me? Do you realize, (laughs) what if I had been selfish, immature, and had 
not taking Doc into my home. He's a, a very interesting individual. And he's taught me some things too. This matter of male-female that I'm so focused on, I can remember the day that Doc walked in our back sliding glass doors. And when he walked in, he said, male and female is extremely important. He was the first one to speak that to me. Male and female is extremely important. But honestly, his lifestyle, his language, uh, it is not unusual for Doc to say GD. Uh, He knows not to talk too much that way for me. But he uh, can be very, um, what is the word? Uh, I'll just go ahead and say this. He can be very, he can be very vile in his language. And he knows it. He knows he's a wretched man. When I read that scripture at the beginning, that's Doc. The very things he wants to do, he doesn't do. And the things he doesn't want to do, he does. A most, most unusual. Again, he is the most unusual man that I've ever met in my life. Now, having said all of that, let's consider something else. One of the things that Doc really focuses on is Christian science, the metaphysical. We were talking just the other day. He got into all this metaphysical stuff and he's pontificating all about it. And and I'm just thinking, where is this taking us? I said, Doc, Doc, stop. I said, help me out. Give me a definition of what is metaphysical. And if you're familiar with Christian science, you know, that's what they're built on. I said, now, very simple words. No elaboration. I want very simple words. What is metaphysical? Because I've never looked into it at all. And this was his answer. He said, the spirit operating in the material realm. When I said, Doc, hold him. What do you mean operating? He said, manifestation. It's the spirit manifested in the material realm. And for me, I look at it different than he does. In fact, the way of the world is that they do it backwards. In other words, for example, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, that's the way of God. Wisdom, understanding, knowledge. But how does the world do it? Knowledge, understanding, wisdom. Well, if you go knowledge, understanding, wisdom, the fact is you never get to truth. That does not lead to truth. You based your understanding on some knowledge. Well, how do you know that's the knowledge of God? The reality is you have to start with wisdom. With wisdom, you gain understanding, and with understanding, then you gain knowledge. So I was thinking, you know, this whole thing must be backward in Christian science because he was talking about the spirit operating in the material. And for me, when he spoke about that, 
I couldn't help but thinking about how the material is first, the natural, as the scripture said in Romans, and then there's the spiritual. That's the truth of it. First the natural, then the spiritual. And when you look at the word metaphysical, it has a very interesting root message. The word meta means later, after, beyond. So metaphysical means after the physical, beyond the physical. And that's exactly what this passage says in Romans 7. That there's first the natural and then the spiritual. In fact, let's look at our chief example. How did Yeshua come? Of course, he came in a natural body the first time. But when he comes again, he will be in his spiritual body that he obtained by being caught up into heaven by the angels, nasset up, and after eight days in heaven, he came back down in his born-from-above body. Let's read from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 through 49. We'll get another taste of this. It says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. Of course, that's when we all have natural bodies that have died. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. All of these things represented here first are all what we experience now. It's perishable. It's dishonor. It is weakness. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from where? He is from heaven. That is how we get our second body, this spiritual body. We don't get a spiritual body by coming out of a grave. Lazarus proved if you come out of the grave, you go back into a natural body. The little girl who died, her spirit came back in her and she was in her natural body. Says the first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. We have to be caught up to heaven just like Yeshua did. He was caught up to heaven and he came back in that heavenly body. And it continues, as is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly.
That is what we need. The scripture talks about this body existence that we have as the old man. There has to be another work in which we are no longer the old man. We are from the heavenly. And the old man has to pass away. And he's the man of corruption. But the new man is from above. That's what we have to have. You know, people think you die and go to heaven and that's it. That's the naivety of Christianity. Folks, if you want to enter into the body that you think is from heaven, or that you think you might enter into once you die, there's only one way to get it. And that is to be caught up in your earthly body. It says the dead in Christ shall rise first. If they come out, guess what? They come out in an earthly body, just like Lazarus did and everybody else. The dead in Christ rise first, and we are caught up in this earthly body. And once in heaven, this earthly body is transformed into the heavenly body, and we come back. That's how you get your heavenly body. But until you get that heavenly body, Mm. We are occupying this body that is the wretched man. Having said this, I begin to ponder on this matter of my friend Doc. He knows he's a wretched man. And in many ways. He was born the same year I was born, 1948. I met him in 1994. That's when the Spirit came upon me. We've been communicating ever since. He's lived with me. He has been a blessing to my life. And he's been a test. But I have not ignored Doc. You know, honestly, my family does not like him. Uh, he's really unique. But of course, reality is my family doesn't like anybody who likes me. But Doc is unique. Very strange, honestly, by most people's standards. With all of this happening, I could not help but think how Yahweh has placed Doc into my life as the old man. If you listen to the podcast called Four Stories, I gave the account of how Yahweh's used the old man to warn me. He's used two old men, one for real and one in a story, to point out that this old man has got to be helped. This nature that we have, this old man that we have, that we live in, has got to be helped and delivered. Frankly, Doc is longing to be delivered from this flesh. He hates this flesh. He reckons it for what it is. And I find it interesting that I'm at this point in my life where having just written about the old man, all of a sudden I realize Doc 
is a type of the old man. You remember in the story about Adam and Eve, Yahweh said to them, you ran right past the old man. Do you know, if I had not taken Doc into my home, I don't know if I'd be where I am today. If I had run past the old man, my friend Doc, I think I would have been disqualified. Frankly, folks, I am of the opinion that only the bride has the authority and the calling to help the old man. How do you help the old man? We respond as the bride and make it possible to be caught up into heaven within the body of this old man that, like Doc says, he knows he's totally wretched. (laughs) And frankly, many times he is. And he knows it. We are totally wretched. And the only hope that we have to not run past the old man is to be caught up into heaven and having this old man transformed into the new man. That's what Doc longs for. I realized, and and he's the one who told me male, female is extremely important. He was exactly right. But I realized that Yahweh brought Doc into my life in 1994 to testify of the need to help the old man. Doc has helped me. But by the grace of God, I'm going to help Doc. And I pray that Doc will ascend alive. And that old body that he's in, and he knows it's wretched, will be transformed into an immortal, incorruptible body that is born from above. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, after that it takes place in Doc, I probably won't even recognize him. <laughs> he won't be the same Doc anymore. He'll be transformed. But you know what? Of all the people on the earth, I think that Doc would be the happiest to have that transformation take place in his life. But I'm very glad to have Doc. I've always been glad to have Doc. He's been my friend since 1994. And as... I did not disregard Doc when he asked to come live with me. I pray that we are going to have that transformation, that much-needed transformation. Now, I hate to tell Doc he's going to have to give up Mary Baker Eddy, though. I mean, that, that whole thing is just, number one, she's a woman. She shouldn't even be teaching. So, But, you know, the reality is he would drop everything to be transformed. It would be a great fulfillment in his life. And let me tell you one final affirmation to this revelation, if you would, as well. The offspring from God are evidenced in Ishmael and Isaac. They were both provisions from the father. 
Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham to have offspring. Hagar was an Egyptian. She was the bondwoman. Abraham laid with her and Ishmael was born. But was Ishmael acceptable? Well, he was an offspring of Abraham. He should be, right? But he was not acceptable. So I'm going to ask you a question. Are the 2,000 years of the church acceptable to the Father for the kingdom of heaven? Absolutely not. Are the 6,000 years of man acceptable to the Father? Absolutely not. No more than Ishmael was acceptable to the Father. Even Christianity is not acceptable to the Father. It's an Ishmael work. Is it of Yahweh? Yes, it is of Yahweh. But it is not the offspring that he has to have. The offspring that he has to have is the Isaac. Are you getting the picture, folks? Do you know where I'm going with this? These bodies that you have are Ishmael's. I don't care how much you believe. I don't care how much transformation takes place in your life. It is still an Ishmael work. We said concerning the metaphysical, the definition is meta, later, after, beyond the physical. Folks, this is the metaphysical we're talking about. The life that we will live in is after the physical. It's the natural, the physical, becoming spiritual. We try to become spiritual beings. But no matter what we do, we are not going to qualify. We would love to be spiritual-minded and such. But as Paul spoke in Romans 7, Wretched man that I am, who is going to deliver me from this body of death? Folks, until we can put off this body and enter into a body that is born from above, we are nothing more than Ishmael's. Ishmael was an offspring of Abraham. He had 12 sons. There was Isaac and then Jacob who had 12 sons. No matter how much you want to think that you have the kingdom of God in the form that Yahweh wants, you're wrong. That's why Christianity is a failure for 2,000 years. It's Ishmael, the son of the bond woman. It was 2,000 years too early for the church. Christianity is the son of the bond woman. That's why it's corrupted so much. 35,000 denominations. What can you expect when you read Romans 7? What you're going to get. What we have to have, again, is for old Doc to be caught up into heaven and for Doc to be up there for 15 days. Seven days of cleansing. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of cleansing, folks, no Doc. 
Seven days of cleansing, then eight days of tabernacles. And after those seven and eight days, 15 days, oh, Doc, he's going to come down. He's finally going to be the man that he's always wanted to be. And with full admission, knew that he never, never was. You know, the bad thing is Christians think that they're really getting it. You know, they've got it going. They're going to be the glory of God. Doc wouldn't say that in any regard. Doc knows he's a wretched man. Paul knew he was a wretched man. When we enter into heaven, we will be transformed And we will finally be the individual that we need to be in a born-from-above body. That's what we have to have. I pray that this work of the bride is the work of the Father that ensures that we don't run past the old man. That like Doc, we see ourselves for who we are. And we look to him to take us up to heaven at the sound of the last trumpet. And be transformed into that man that we have to be in order to be the Isaac. In order to be the son of promise. That's what we have to have. And we look to him to provide it. I hope you've enjoyed this. Maybe someday you'll meet Doc. But if you ever get to sit down with him, you better remember this. Until he enters into that immortal body, (laughs) you better be prepared. Doc is unique. He is the most unique individual I have ever met in my life. And if you've seen some pictures that I've seen him send out, you would agree. If you had his telephone number and you listened to his voice message, uh, (laughs) I'm telling you, he is true blue unique. But he knows who and what he is. A wretched man. We look to the Father to perform the work that He alone can perform. We cry out to Him, Father, please do it. In the name of Yeshua, Amen.